There's a few people you meet in life and think, if I manage to do half as much as this guy did, I should be okay. Kevin McDonnell is one of those people, a self-made, ultra-successful startup guru. Kevin has built, mentored, and advised a veritable empire of businesses across healthcare. He has run international businesses as well as sold them, and now he wants to share his war stories, as he calls them, around the campfire with anyone who is willing to listen and learn. A fascinating conversation with a thoroughly fascinating individual. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Kevin McDonnell, a veritable demigod in the realms of digital health startups. You have such an incredible story to tell and it's really great to have you on. So thank you for your time. Um, what a history you have and where, where do I start really? You are an exec at Emis. You've started several of your own companies. You advise and mentor CEOs. You chair companies. You basically do everything under the sun. But let's start off right at the beginning with a brief history of Kevin. Where did sure. the journey start? Sure, thank you, Manny. Thanks for the invite. Yes. So where did the journey start? Well, the journey started with science. So um, when I was at school, I was fascinated by science. I was really keen on finding a way to change the world through science. And I was lucky enough when I was 16 to leave school and go straight to Guy's Hospital and uh, work in the labs at the medical school. Um, I was really fortunate when I started that I, I got um, assigned to a research group. It was called the Free Radical Research Group, led by an amazing professor called uh, Catherine Rice Evans. And we were looking at polyphenols and antioxidants and uh, thoroughly enjoyed Say that it. again, say that again, but really fast. Antioxidants, polyphenols. That's not what you said, is it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think it was. <laughs> Go on. Uh, and um, so I did, I did a few years in that research team and then I moved into neuroscience. And whilst I was doing all of that, I was also doing my education. So I went to college part-time um, and then I went to university part-time all on day release. Um, I decided I didn't want to be an academic. So I hit the reset button and started again. And the thing I was really fascinated by was technology. So I got an entry level role in technology, first line support on a help desk, answering the telephone to people who'd lost their passwords. And over probably an eight year period, I had a very traditional technology career, lots of internally facing roles, working my way up to IT direct level. And then I moved to client facing. Um, I joined a boutique management consultancy that was building schools under the City Academy program. And I was involved in several city academies across the country, putting all the technology in place. And then I joined a value-added resale. And I looked after some really exciting and interesting customers. I looked after BBC Worldwide, Channel 4, Financial Times, Maersk, Bain & Co. Um, and really got stuck in with some chunky digital transformation projects and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but I was approached about joining a startup and the startup was based in Cambridge and it was called Digital Healthcare. And it was an opportunity too good to miss. So I 
joined Digital Healthcare. And a long story short, we built two products. One was an enterprise ophthalmic imaging solution and another was a population health solution for diabetic eye screening. We sold our enterprise ophthalmic solution into the US and 14 large-scale hospital groups, including the Wilmer Eye Institute at Johns Hopkins, which was an amazing flag-waving opportunity for us. The world's leading eye institute was using our product. And in the UK, we took our product to market and we gained 40% market share in three years. And three and a half years later, we had 80% of the English market. We got from 40 to 80 by acquiring our main competitor at the time and integrating those businesses and the products together. And we went on a bit of a journey, which was really exciting. We, we opened an office in the US, we put a team in place, we scaled across um, every state in North America. And we had customers in New Zealand, Australia, Hong Kong, China, Ethiopia, Trinidad, Tobago, a whole host of countries around the world. Um, and that business got to a stage where we were really thinking about the growth opportunities. What is it that we would be doing next to accelerate its growth? And I started nurturing an acquisition of a clinical services business. But before I could do anything, I sold the business to Enos Group. And um, I went to Enos Group, um, spent a lot of time on the road, traveling up and down from Cambridge to Leeds um, and participated in helping Emis Group build and develop and grow its estate across nearly every part of health tech in this country. And 11 months into my time, I completed the acquisition I'd been nurturing, bought a business, created Emis Care as a brand, I integrated, I think it was 188 people at the time, we doubled revenue in 20 months and we rebuilt our bid management capacity and we secured 60 million pounds of new business um, in a 20 month period. I then went and joined Capita, which at the time was a FTSE 100 business and joined the healthcare team. And I was involved in four health tech businesses ranging from a consultancy that helped failing hospitals turn around um, an artificial intelligence business that was really focused on emergency medicine, trying to predict when a patient would turn up in an EA, uh, sorry, in an emergency department for what and when within a 30 month time window. Um, a clinical decision support product, which powers one-on-one -on -one services globally and a clinical decision support tool, uh, sorry, a um, big data and analytics business that helps chief executives of hospitals understand their clinical and operational KPIs and benchmarks against their peers. And that took me all the way up to the end of 2018. And I had one of those moments of reflection and thought, well, I've built up all these wonderful bruises and scars and how do I actually find a way of sharing them with other people, specifically people who wanted to go on the same journeys, early stage businesses that were doing something new, often quite disruptive, wanted to grow and develop their businesses. So I set out my stall as a non-exec director. And I also started a small health tech consultancy business called Datala. And that was really focused about providing broad functional 
expertise, but in a very narrow, deep sectorial focus of healthcare. Um, and that is what I've been doing ever since. And that's where I got started, Mario. So you haven't done much then? Not much. There's still more to do. <laughs> Underachiever. I know. It's incredible. I mean, it's just, just you've literally done everything. It's, it's, it's just, I find that incredible that you've done that in such a short amount of time. Um, interesting that, that one of your businesses, you, uh, you, know, you, you had sales across the world, including New Zealand and uh, Trinidad and Tobago, you were saying, and, you know, mm. all over the place, every state in the US, obviously, you know, well, most likely involved a lot of travel for you. Um, just a off the off, off the cuff question on based on, you know, the world we find ourselves in now. Do you think that would have been possible with the type of COVID restrictions that are in place right now? I do actually think it would be possible because the world has moved quite quickly to big strategic relationships without ever meeting. And I think there is more acceptance that you don't need to get someone on a plane and fly them for, you know, 7,000 miles for a half a day meeting when you can just be on Zoom or Teams or, or another video conferencing platform. There is, a, there is a change in mindset already, isn't there? That, that, that there those is. things don't need to happen and it's happening across the board. So you think those, are as, those kind of meetings are as effective as being there physically? I think they are, and partly because they've had to be. You know, the world hasn't stopped because of COVID, and especially in healthcare, if anything, it's accelerated. And people are doing big strategic deals, building relationships with people they've never met before across the, the globe. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But you've, so you, you know, you, you've started businesses, run them, sold them, uh, chaired them, advised them, but where does your heart really lie? That's a really interesting question. So <clears throat> when I look back at everything I've done and I look at what I'm doing now, the common theme is people. So people build products, people make up teams, people have the vision to do something new. It's people who are driven to acquire new knowledge to help what they imagine become real. At my heart, it's about helping people get the best from themselves and creating high-performing, motivated teams and helping people be more successful. I get the greatest pleasure in seeing people develop to doing things they never thought they could do or doing things faster than they ever thought they could do. And the consequence of all of that is being part of a journey where people are creating amazing businesses and organizations that are adding incredible value to the markets and customers that they are serving. And is that, is that because it replicates the creative process that you went through in the early businesses that you ran in a more, what's the word, more supervisory way i guess so you're seeing it from a different perspective you're experiencing the same stuff you did back then but from a from a from an advisory perspective which means that you're kind of less involved in the nitty-gritty of things but you're able to talk to for example ceos and and um and board members in a way that you perhaps you didn't appreciate when you were yourself a ceo yeah, I think 
partly that's correct i mean i i'm a i'm a firm believer in that you learn and grow faster if you're shown how to do it and i was really lucky early on in my career to have some amazing mentors some people who were free with their knowledge and they were very keen to help me develop personally um, and that's something that I want to replicate in everything that I do now. And how, how, impor how important is that? I mean, networking and you know, it's, it's, it's the reason people go on to accelerators and incubators and things like this is that to grow their network. How, how important is that to get the right people, the right mentors, the right advisors at the early stages of a company? Is it possible to do this thing um, off the back of your own experience only? It is. I mean, you can absolutely do it by yourself. I personally believe you can do it faster with the help of others. And finding the others who have been there, they, they've done it, they've also got tangential experience from other sort of businesses and other sectors, just adds to the mix of all that great experience they can bring and help you you know, address problems that would normally take you weeks to solve can be solved in, you know, a day, for example. Um, and, and it's not just the theoretical knowledge of this is how you should be doing it, but it's the practical experience of this is what you do. This is likely what will happen when you do this, because it's happened to me in the past or what's happened to my team in the past. Yeah, it's it just... just invaluable. So you've been at this for how many how many years you're in? Well, I've been in I've been in tech now for twenty five years, and I've been in health tech for fifteen of those. At what point do you tell yourself that's all, folks? Time to retire. What's your what's the, what's the, what is the end end game for you? That this, that's why that's why you say okay, that's it. I'm done. I've achieved everything I wanted to achieve. Um, so I think the first thing is, if I'm driven by, I'm driven to help others. So I don't think there's ever going to be a point where that stops, that desire to help just runs out. And I don't think this is a th anything about time. I think it's about value. I think at the point when you are not adding any value anymore is the time when you sort of say, right, enough's enough, I'm going to go and do something else. No no idea what the other thing would be, though. So that was going to be my next question. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Oh, that's a good question. So yeah, I'm, I'm, you can tell me I'm thinking about that. So there isn't an alternative job I look at and think, crikey, I wish I'd have done that because I thoroughly enjoy what I do and what I have done. I actually think if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I would probably be driven to find a way of doing what I do now. And it might be in a different sort of capacity, um, but that overarching sort of need to help educate, share experiences, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder with people and, and overcome challenges and address opportunities is, is just something I think that's baked into my, my DNA. You know, is, that, is, that, 
Is that indirectly saying that you believe in fate? I don't believe in fate. No, I don't believe in fate as a definition of a force that predetermines events. I, you know, probably a little bit too personal. I grew up in very poor on state benefit. You could argue that given my start in life, my fate was sealed. But, you know, I knew I wanted something else and I knew I wanted choices and I worked very hard, got myself an education. I fed my curiosity to learn new things. And I recognized early on that surrounding yourself with people who, can, who you can learn from, people who are constantly learning themselves and are willing to share their knowledge is a really, really critical thing. And you don't have to answer this question if it's too personal, but um, you, you said you, you said you, you you come from humble beginnings. Um, did your parents encourage you to go down this route? Was that a was entrepreneurialism a thing for them as well? Um, so my. My mother died actually when I was six. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And my father died when I was 13. Wow. Um, so I was, I was driven by self rather than anyone around me to just make a decision, make a choice, do something about the situation I was in. Um, Nothing I could do would make anything worse. It would only give me a learning experience and hopefully that would, um, you know, provide me with, a, with a, a good background for what I wanted to do later. Well, that's, that's incredible in itself. A lot of people, I would say, you know, 95% plus would have just given up and gone down a bad road after being, after being dealt that hand. I know you said you didn't believe in fate, but that's, I mean, that's... Um, that's a pretty hard-hitting thing to go through, and I couldn't imagine what that would what, what that was like for you and your and the rest of your family. I was too stubborn, Manning. <laughs> Is well, that maybe that's the trait that you need to be what you are. Quite possibly. But is it? Is it? Do you do you have to have this streak where you just don't give up? You just you just say bugger it all to hell, and um, I don't care what happens outside. This is what I'm going to be doing. You do have to be, I think you have to have a tenacious streak to yourself. You know, I think if you succeed on your first try, it's luck. It's more likely that you will fail on your first try. And it's not how you fail, it's how you respond to failure. That's the key thing for me. You know, you get, you get up, you dust yourself off, you take what you've learned, you pivot, you try again, and you just keep going. Yeah, would that be your key piece of advice for all of those startups that that do fail, that do try the hardest, the damnedest to, to get somewhere? Um, trying without, continuously trying without understanding the reason for the failure is probably not a good idea. Yeah. You know, the key thing is to understand what has happened and ensure that you can 
you know, identify the things that worked and the things that didn't work and not replicate the things that didn't work. And I think it was, I'm not entirely sure if it was Albert Einstein who quoted, doing the same thing and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. Yeah. So trying by itself isn't enough. You've, you've got to collect the evidence. Right. You've got to learn from your mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you spend much of your time uh, advising C-level executives, particularly uh, CEOs. What's the most common piece of advice that you find yourself dispensing? Oh, that's a good one. So, you know, there's, there's many common themes that come up in conversations, you know, such as aligning the team to individual goals and company strategy, values and vision, prioritizing you and your team's day-to-day -day actions on things that really will matter. But the one piece of advice I find myself always providing is around asking the right questions. If we don't ask the right questions of ourselves, our team, our customers and our market, we won't get the evidence we need to make an informed decision. For example, asking if a prospect would see value in your product is not the same as asking if they would buy it. Asking if they would buy it is not the same as asking how much they would pay for it. If you ask me now if I'd like a Bentley, would I drive it? Would I value it? The answer absolutely is yes. But if you ask me if I'd buy one, the answer is no. So asking the right questions is something that I, I find myself constantly talking around because it's, if you ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong answer and you can't base an informed decision on that. Um, and the other piece of advice actually, which is kind of related to it is, is around recognizing the importance of next steps. I.e., you know, if you think of a mountain climber, they're really focused on the next handhold or foothold. They know they want to get to the summit, but they're not focused on the summit. They're focused on what's in front of them. And I think it's really easy for founders to focus so much on the summit. They make the steps so big, it's easy to fall. So you need to make the steps reachable because then you'll get to your destination faster with less of those missteps. How do you, how do you, um, how do you get founders who are, you know, by definition of the word that, you know, that, that they're, they're excited to do the thing that they're doing. How, how do you get them to take those baby steps towards the summit without extinguishing that zeal to get to it? Yeah, so it's, it's never about extinguishing the zeal or the passion to get to the end destination, but it's about, I find my approach is about telling stories. So I'm a, for whatever reason, I'm a natural storyteller when I, when I provide advice around this. So I will use that mountain climber analogy, for example. Um, and there's some great cartoons. Um, one of my favorites is, is, is a person, two people, they're, they're in a valley and they've both got ladders. And the one person has got ladders with steps he can reach easily. And the other has got massive steps. Which one's going to get out of the valley soonest? 
you know, brings it to life when you're talking about these sorts of things. So it's a matter of understanding rather than um, rather than telling, if you like. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a great way of putting it. Every and I'm in that position. Every I'm sure every founder is in that position where they feel like they can jump a few steps, and if they do enough of those, then they'll get to the top. But actually, like you're saying, it's it's about knowing to do to take lots of small steps that you can actually manage. Yeah, the bigger the step, the higher the risk is that you'll miss and fall. Right. I mean, you, yeah, it's so clear when you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you find yourself just, just going off on, on that, on that? So a lot of the CEOs that you're advising, um, or the C-level type of people that you advise, mm. I guess, are they, are they, what's the age range? Are they young, kind of experienced in life? <laughs> the polite way of saying old, um, <laughs> big range. Yeah, it is a big range. It's a big range because, you know, I don't think age has got anything to do with an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I, I work with people who have had very traditional, what you would classify as very traditional careers and are now in their mid-50s and thought, okay, I don't want to be a director of this business. I want to do something myself. Um, either because they have a desire to do something themselves or they've come across a problem in their day-to-day -day lives that hasn't been solved and they think right i'm gonna set about trying to solve this particular issue and but, that could be gone yeah Sorry, i was gonna say that but being a ceo or a founder is not just about solving or maybe it is it's not just about solving problems it's it's a certain methodology of leadership it's a certain way of um coalescing your team together to for for a common goal so that entrepreneurial spirit yeah sure that's that's consistent but do you see a difference in the approach these people take when when you know when you actually first come to them um to to leading their companies between those age groups yeah i you know i do so you know the older a person is it's quite common, it doesn't happen all the time, but it is quite common that they start from a position of team and culture. They think about the type of organization they want to create. Um, younger CEOs and entrepreneurs run at 100 miles an hour and hope and expect people to keep up with them. <laughs> And sometimes that's just about, you know, it's always about a balance, but, you know, for, for younger CEOs and founders, it's sometimes just about saying that no one's going to love your baby as much as you do. And you're running at hundred miles an hour and getting frustrated if people aren't keeping up with you, perhaps you need to just slow down and help them keep up with you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Is that what you think? Well, actually, the more direct question is: what what makes the difference between a a good leader in that a good leader in that respect versus a, a great leader? Well, that's 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 a really great question, and um, you know, people have spent their entire careers researching this to try and work out what this is. Um, 
And look, there's going to be lots of thoughts on the differences between good leaders and great leaders. But for me, it's really simple. For me, great leaders create other great leaders. You know, they are the people who are surrounded by other great people. They're, they're a bit like a gravity well. They attract people to them, people who want to be part of that journey they're on. Great leaders, I think, actively seek out people who are better than them. And they're, and they're not afraid of finding people who are better than them. And they encourage and support them to be better. And they share all of their knowledge. They don't hold anything back. And they foster an environment where they want them to be great leaders. That's a good answer. <laughs> um, I'm going change, to change direction a little bit. Looking forward, I mean, you, you've been involved in all sorts of different businesses. You're mainly in healthcare, but I, I know from, from knowing you outside um, of this podcast that you're into a whole heap of other things and you have interests. You're, you're a bit like me. You're a bit of a geek. You, you, like, you like quantum and you like all these other things, AI, and uh, you're, you're into a lot of stuff interested in a lot of stuff and looking I confess I like quantum until you sent me lots of information and then it just made my brain hurt <laughs> I wanted to share the brain hurting <laughs> it, 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 it hurt my brain too. I mean quantum quantum mechanics is just insanely interesting um Anyway, di di digressing. But that's the topic of another podcast. Another, another podcast, yeah. Let's spend another hour on, on quantum. That would be amazing. Quantum mechanics with manage. There you go. <laughs> um, but looking forward, in what areas do you see the next generation of high growth startups evolving from? And it can be quantum if you like, quantum computing. I suppose. <laughs> well, I do. I mean, I do think quantum computing is a, is, is a fascinating field. Um, and if we, if we can find a way of making that work at some point in the future, all bets are off. Because obviously one of the principal tenets of quantum computing is it will be able to derive things we can't even think of today. Um, which is both exciting and scary all at once. But I think... Um, I see, I see privacy and security as two areas where we're going to see a lot of high growth startups. You know, securing oneself in the digital economy is becoming harder and harder. Um, maintaining a level of privacy or being in control of the information that you share with others is becoming harder and harder. And I think the businesses and technologies that allow individuals to know what data others hold about them and how it's been used is going to be one of those high growth areas. So encryption, uh, digital identity type of applications sounds a lot, sounds a lot like sort of quantum blockchain-y type of stuff. Uh, is where you see the high growth in the next 10, 15 years. I do, I do, because, you know, we live in a world today where people's data is, is the greatest commodity that everyone's actually fighting over. You know, data True. is, I've, I've seen it and, you know, heard it, data is the new oil. Um, and the companies 
and technologies that allow you to protect that data, but also use it for the benefit of the individual, et cetera, I think they're gonna, they're gonna be the winners. Um, and you know, you say privacy and security in one sentence, it sounds really simple, but actually that will touch so many parts of the digital ecosystem that we inhabit today. That you know, it's can it all be manual? Probably not. Is it going to need elements of artificial intelligence? Probably yes. So there's going to be lots of tangential and vertically aligned markets around those themes, I think. Mm. How do you stay ahead of the game? I mean, you, 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 you must be, I mean, given the history that you gave us at the beginning of this podcast, right? You don't do that. You don't get through that kind of experience without knowing how to stay ahead of the game. How, how do you do it? I'm, I am and always have been obsessively curious. Um, I'm always trying to learn new things. When I read an article, for example, about something, I just can't seem to let it go. I have to go off and, and you know, search for more information on it. For example, this morning I was speaking to the CEO of a regenerative medicine business. And the conversation wasn't about the science, it was about leadership. But I couldn't help myself spending time reading about regenerative medicine, the applications, the market, the potential opportunities. Um, and I'm also really, you know, being an obsessively curious person, I'm really fortunate that in my role, I speak to hundreds of CEOs, founders and executives every year. It helps that what motivates me is keeping up with these amazing people. Um, and every conversation I have is an opportunity to learn and every conversation feeds my uh, curiosity. Now being obsessively curious presumably takes up a ton of your time, right? So how important is it to have a, a strong family support unit in life in general? In general, I think it's absolutely crucial. Um, and as an entrepreneur, I mean, let's, let's, let's be clear, being an entrepreneur is all consuming at times. There will be times when you'll miss family events there are times when I missed the family holiday. Oh, really? Yep. Wow. Um, and having... But your wife loved you for that one. No. <laughs> having that support and understanding is, is really crucial, in my opinion. Yeah, i I got to agree. There's, um, you can't go through this thing without having that support at home without knowing that otherwise you're, you know you're fighting you're fighting on multiple fronts right you, you need you need that person on side you do and you know it's it's really interesting but the, the, that support you have at home in your with your family and your friends you as an entrepreneur when you have that support you hand stuff off Conversely, as an entrepreneur, you struggle often to hand stuff off to your team. <laughs> yeah. 
interesting, so isn't it? Yeah. It's really interesting. But if you think of if you think of it as two sides of the coin, everyone can hand stuff off to family and friends, but struggle to hand stuff off to team and colleagues. But if you can do it one way, you can do it another way. And one of the, you know, one of the quickest ways to slow down your progress is by trying to do everything yourself. Yeah. So yeah, that, that friends and family support is, is a, it's a good example of, you know, how you should be thinking about inside the business as well. That's a, that's a nice note to to end the main part of the podcast we 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 do a, a quick a set of quick fire questions at the end of every podcast um, I, I was not made aware of this <laughs> <laughs> um, they're going to be very difficult very difficult questions that that go to the core of your personality and being no they're not really they're actually really light-hearted um short sharp answers here we um, go cryptocurrencies fad or here to stay? Here to stay in a different form. Oh, interesting. So not like Bitcoin or Ethereum, something no, else. I think it's I think it will become the baseline for something else. Oh, interesting. Okay. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. Nice. Marvel or DC? Well, that's a tough one. I'm gonna go Marvel. But I do like Wonder Woman. <laughs> well, who doesn't? Um, well, what's your favourite super? I was going to say, what's your favourite superhero? But it's clearly Wonder Woman. <laughs> if you had the choice of being the world's most successful company's CEO or the world's most successful company's chief innovator, which would you choose? I would be the CEO because it would allow me to create the framework to allow innovation to occur. Cool. Brexit. Will we will will we be better off in the long term or not? Jury's out. I don't know. If you could ask Boris Johnson one question and one question only. What would it be? Oh, that's a good one. Just one question. Only one. And it can't be how many children do you have? Okay. Well, my question to Boris Johnson would be, why did he want to be in politics? <laughs> Instead of uh, any other career that he could do? Well, I'd, just, I'd be really intrigued as to what drew him to a career as, as a politician. Interesting. If there is one thing you could change instantly about the way healthcare is in this country, what would it be? I would change data sharing and interoperability. Very good. You have forgotten it's your wedding anniversary. It's 9 p.m. and you only have five quid in your pocket. And the only thing that is open is the local grocer. What do you do? Go home and apologize. 
So you wouldn't even buy anything? No, because it's a last ditch attempt, which anyone will see through. So it's pointless. Okay, right. This is the final and most serious, most important question of all. So I want you all to think about it. Okay. Is it coming home? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Kevin McDonald, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Lovely chatting to you, Manny. Take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Startup Talk Up. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please hit the ratings button from wherever you got it, which will really help us to grow our audience. If you're feeling generous, please also check out the links in the description and donate to the charities that we are currently supporting. Thanks once again and see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.